today is uh, August 25th. I knew that. August 25th, 2007. We're discussing Lesson 3 of uh, Matthew Part 1. And I'm going to pray. You graciously endow men with wisdom and teach insight to a frail mortal. Endow us graciously from yourself with wisdom, insight, and discernment. Blessed are you, Lord, gracious giver of wisdom. Bring us back, our Father, to your Torah, and bring us near our King to your service, and influence us to return in perfect repentance before you. Blessed are you, Lord, who desires repentance. Forgive us, our Father, if we have erred. Pardon us, our King, if we have willfully sinned. For you, pardon and forgive. Blessed are you, Lord, the gracious one who pardons abundantly. May your name be praised forever, our King, the God, the great and holy King, in heaven and on earth, because for you it is fitting, O Lord our God and God of our forefathers, song and praise, lauding and hymns, power and dominion, triumph, greatness and strength, praise and splendor, holiness and sovereignty, blessings and thanksgivings from this time and forever. Blessed are you, Lord. God, King, exalted through praises, God of thanksgivings, Master of wonders, who chooses musical songs of praise, King, God, life giver of the world. Amen. That was from the Shimon Esrei, first, the benediction uh, uh, Teshuvah. Uh, actually, it was the benediction uh, uh, dot just before it, knowledge, insight, and then Teshuvah, and then uh, forgiveness. And then lastly, Yishtabach. Yishtabach is uh, um, one of the prayers that comes just before Shimon Esrei. Uh, all, all prayer uh, is praise. Even our petitions are praise. Because we recognize that from Him and Him alone comes all that we have. Uh, let's look at Matthew a little bit. We'll start with Acts 3. <laughs> but those which God foretold by the mouth of all His prophets that the Messiah would suffer... He has thus fulfilled. Remember, we've been talking about this word fulfilled. Right? Fulfilled doesn't mean stopped. Fulfilled means what? It's true and continues to be true. That's good. Well, I'm, you know, I, I'm, that's what I told you. I'm not patient. I'm not a patient teacher. You've got to jump right in there. Repent, therefore, and be converted literally turned around that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Yeshua HaMashiach the Messiah Yeshua the Messiah who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began Acts 3 18-21 this is a sermon by Peter Last week, and actually the week before, we were look, we've been looking at these, uh, that Matthew is making the case up front about who Yeshua is. And the reason why he does this up front is because he is going to frame everything from this point forward within this context. And if we're going to understand him as a master teacher, as we see throughout the book of Matthew, like he is, calling disciples, like we're going to see, then we first have to understand that he's not just this. That there's something different about him. So that when we get to the end of Matthew chapter 7, and all the people who had heard him preach were dumbfounded by what he said, not because of the words that he spoke were new and unfamiliar to them, but because somehow he was different. His words were not different as much as how different he was. Matthew wants us to know right, ahead, right away that this one who is calling disciples 
is the king. He's Messiah. He also, he, we saw that he pointed out, first of all, that he was seed of Abraham. We saw that two weeks ago, that he's the promised son of David. That he's the one promised to be like the prophet Moses, like unto Moses. That last week we saw that he's a priest. How can he be a priest if he's not from the tribe of Levi? Not a Levite. How can he be a priest? He's not even, you know, not only is he not a descendant of Aaron, he's not even a Levite. How can he possibly be a priest? And we saw, I had mentioned briefly how Hebrews 8.4 says, if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest. In fact, when he was here, he wasn't a priest. What makes him a priest? And, and uh, we, we, we ponder this. These are good questions. Questions are good, provided we go to Scripture for answers. And we'll continue to look at this. Melchizedek, uh, yes. Uh, Melchizedek, mm-hmm. he was a priest. He wasn't a descendant of Aaron. He was, but he was a priest on the earth. earth. Ah. But Melchizedek was a priest on the earth. That's right. Interesting, interesting questions. Ones that are not easily resolved. Predated. Levi, Levi. Levi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. and Aaron, which is exactly the point that, that is being brought up in, in Hebrews 7 and 8. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting, it's an interesting question. One isn't as easily resolved by, uh, as some theologies try and make it. He is a priest. He is the promised Messiah. He wants us to know these things up front because he's going to, he's going to draw from that understanding. He's taking the time to teach us this. Uh, what we, if you did your homework, this week we've been studying how, this, how the stage is set in the first century for the arrival of King Messiah. What we've seen is that there is a gospel message. Gospel is a modern English word drawn from an old English word which simply means what? Good news. That's right, gospel is good news. Uh, and so because it is good news, what is the good news? Um, sometimes people mischaracterize the good news. I prayed the good news a moment ago. Teshuvah. That's good news. The sinner, does the sinner set in their ways see that as good news? Go to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Judaism has long believed that, that Christianity's portrayal of Messiah is wrong. And the reason why is because Christianity tends to portray the arrival of Messiah as first and foremost, your Savior is here. Which Judaism would not disagree with if it was capped within the context of of Messiah, King Messiah is here to deliver you. Because they see it's one like Moses. See, the problem is Christianity has, although we say he's a king, we don't really act like he's a king. And what we need to understand is that's why why Matthew, and, and maybe more than any of the other Uh, books in the Apostolic Scripture. Matthew stresses this issue of king, his kingship up front so that we can truly understand what our responsibility to him is. Uh, Go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist, or or, uh, as as, uh, um, Sam likes to refer to him, uh, John the Immerser, uh, Yochanan the Immerser, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's a, uh, and then verse 4 Now John himself was clothed with camel hair With a leather belt around his waist And his food was locusts and wild honey Now go to Isaiah chapter 40 Verse 3 This is a quote The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John is this voice. John is this voice crying in the wilderness. Go back to verse 1 of Isaiah 40. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem. And cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord double for all her sins. And then it goes into describing John's ministry. Is Matthew misquoting this and taking this out of context? What was the ministry of John? How did John... Yeah, he's preparing the way, that's true. And, and if you go to, uh, go to verse 7... Matthew chapter 3 verse 7 But when he, John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his, his immersion, to his baptism He said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father For I say to you, that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones common representation of John is he's doing the impossible job he's come to prepare the way for Messiah to show up and that mission will fail because the people will reject Messiah I offer you today if the people had rejected Messiah we would not be here some rejected him the problem is that what we've done is we have made we have made it a a question of is, are the Jewish people going to be the ones or is it going to be some other people the Jewish people as is often represented the Jewish people rejected him that's not true at all not only is it not true it's provable not true without the Jewish people we would not know him <laughs> would we we wouldn't how is it possible that's right that's right a majority rejected him it's always been a righteous thing and there's always been a remnant but if you look back at Isaiah chapter 40 now we're, here's, here's one of the things that I want you to always understand when we do these and that's why you're doing this and you're, if you're doing homework and we're looking at fulfilled the word fulfilled is because whenever a writer is drawing from another passage he expects you to know the other passage in total so the writer of Matthew expects you to understand when he speaks of John Matthew expects you to understand when he speaks of John that you understand that it starts with Isaiah 40 comfort yes comfort my people speak comfort to Jerusalem cry out to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned odd that John is here speaking this harsh message as it's represented is that comfort? let's talk about it let's look at it 
this voice, uh, chapter, actually I didn't finish reading. Go back to, uh, I got to Isaiah chapter 40 and I, went, I, wrote, I read through verse, uh, let's pick it up at verse, verse 3 again. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And the voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? Okay, now listen. This is what John is crying out. All flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. Because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings... In the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Hebrew Scriptures that was translated about 300 years before Matthew wrote the book of Matthew, actually has good tidings here is the same word that would be used in the Apostolic Scriptures for gospel. Good news. Good tidings. I lost my place. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up to the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. Do you hear the apostolic scriptures being being repeating this throughout it? These phrases are phrases that the apostolic writers draw from, are they not? Boy, they understood it. They really did get it. Um, far more than we do, unfortunately. Uh, what we see in Isaiah 40, I've, I've written down here, the voice to bring comfort is in verse 1. It's a voice of preparation, verse 3, prepare the way. It's a voice of good news in verse 9, bring good tidings. Jerusalem brings good tidings, and it's a herald to the king. The king's going to rule forever. What we, what we see is this oddness that we are reading about John's ministry, which seems to end in failure. How was John... He was beheaded. Lots of people accepted his message. Actually, historically, that's true. Much more than Yeshua's. It is true. When you, get, when you can get men like Josephus recognize the ministry of John as being a profound effect in, in the first century and, very, and barely give mention to Yeshua, then you can know that it, this, was, this, was a powerful, this was a powerful message uh, that John brought. And what was that message? It's good news, is it not? Well, depends on which side of the fence you are. Go to Isaiah 62. Bam. Elijah. Eliyahu. So, was Isaiah written before? Eliyahu? No, after. After Elijah? refers back to him as well as to John. Good point. Yeah, how is it possible? Yeah, uh, uh, Malachi as well. Malachi postdates postdates Elijah, uh, and yet Malachi speaks. Well, obviously speaks specifically of him. In the, you know what he says, "I will send Elijah." You know, so is John Elijah? I don't know. We'll talk about it as we go further out here. <laughs> 62. I don't believe in reincarnation. 62 and 11. They are both messengers. And actually they have the same message. That's great. Isaiah 62 11. 
Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed, to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Uh, By the way, that word salvation is the noun form of Yeshua's name. That's the noun form, which is uh, probably, my guess is that's feminine there. Uh, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him. Again, uh, these are quotes. This This is a quote from earlier in Isaiah. And his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. What, what is Zion? Where, where is Zion? Is it a thought or a concept or is it a place? It's always a place. When I call myself a Zionist, it is because I believe the king of the universe will reign from a place that we today refer to as Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That is his city. Will there be a new one? Oh, yes. But, you know, there's been lots of new ones. (laughs) Go there. This is layer upon layer upon layer. Um, So, we we see this. The king is coming. And he will. And it is all about Jerusalem. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40. It was seeing comfort to Jerusalem. Go to Revelation 22. Talk about the new Jerusalem. The praetorist... The one who believes all of these things have been fulfilled long past for obvious theological error reasons does these things because he's very uncomfortable with this idea that it's a place. Because a place isn't where he is. It must be a spiritual concept. It must be heaven. Go to uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me. Who's speaking? I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Uh, And then verse 16. I, Yeshua, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in in the churches, in the assemblies. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. This Yeshua in Revelation seems different from the Yeshua of Matthew in the Gospels if you don't remember Matthew chapter 1. He's the king. He's the king. He's king Messiah. Uh, this kingdom message, this good news, the announced arrival of the king, it brings comfort. How does it bring comfort? It, he is our salvation. But if you just take that first picture of John, that doesn't seem very... You brood of vipers who told you, who warned you of the wrath to come. By the way, if you're very careful in reading through that third chapter of Matthew, you discover that the Sadducees and Pharisees being mentioned, did they reject John? No, not all of them. They came to be what? Immersed. What was their immersion? It was an immersion of repentance. We're going to get to that in a second. But what? why did they come? It wasn't just out of curiosity. You know, that's the way the movies always show it. Well, who are you? We're not really sure. No, some were that way, but some were not. And what you read there is actually something different. Matthew chapter 3 
John's word says, you brood of vipers, but their actions and even what he speaks of them, he did immerse them. He says, bring forth fruit. That's right. Turn around. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. If we are really intended. That's right. And if we're fair, we're going to read the words that John spoke to them and apply them to us. Instead of saying those other people. Um, it's comforting to know that I'm not left on my sin. It is good news. And that's exactly what he's saying, isn't it? There's a hope. For those who repent, there is a hope. In other words, if there's no hope, why why repent? Live, you know, eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow we die. There's a hope. It's 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 not a dead end. There's a hope. There's a hope that repentance is received. In the Shemona Esrei, in the prayer that I prayed at the beginning, the prayer of Teshuvah, that God is the God of repentance, is followed by pardonness of our iniquities. Pardon and forgive. Because we know that He is also the God who pardons. And that's what Isaiah 40 talks about, specifically. It is pleasing to those who respond. Here's the key. This is, this is why it's good news. It's only pleasing. It's only good to those who respond. The good news is bad news to those who will not respond. It's bad news. This is actually a bad news. That's why, and it's often confusing when you read when you read the scriptures, why this clarion call, oh man, it's so depressing. That's why people say, well, the Old Testament, that's you know, that's the mean God. And then there's the New Testament, that's the God's nice finally. No. No. God is to be feared always and forever. Eternally to be feared. You know, if you think that, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a nice and cozy time with him, you know, you know, one on one and you know, he's my buddy in the world to come, then you have misunderstood who God is. He remains a holy and awesome God forever. You know, when you use the word fear, though, you have to be careful that you're not... Of course we do. Today's That's right. ...understanding the word fear. Where I'm afraid because, because he's, he's done something bad, or he's about to do something bad. Fear of the Lord is, is a recognition that he is awesome, and mighty, and holy, and without his permission, I can have no part of him. I can't be anywhere near him, because he's too holy. That's right. But it's even more than simply a, well, I speak carefully about him. I make sure I put a dash in the word God or Lord. No, that's, that's, th- those, are, those are reverential things we do. Fear comes from something even more. And you see it in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah, when Isaiah sees, sees God. And obviously not with his eyes in the way we would describe it, but he sees God. And he is, he, was, he is overcome instantly with his unworthiness to be seeing what he's seeing and to be where he is. That is the fear of the Lord. That is fear of him. And recognizing that, that those who respond to God's good news message, that the king is coming, and that he is bringing his reward with him, is also the recognition that we don't deserve it, do we? But this good news message is promises also a reward to those who hear. This is, what's the word here? If you know Hebrew, even a little bit of Hebrew, that's right. You know that it's not just to hear it with your ear. It's, you know, the ear is a receptacle, right? And if you only hear things with your ear, 
There's only one way. That's right. We recognize that the word here, Shema, is far more than simply it goes in your ear. Unfortunately, that's what most people think it is. It goes in your ear. You heard it. Oh, I heard the good news. How should they believe if they do not hear? Have you ever wondered about that verse? How should they not hear it? How should they hear if someone is not sent? How should they believe? Where does faith come from? Faith does not come by hearing. That's what it says. Faith comes by hearing. Who wrote that? Paul? Speaking what language primarily? Although he wrote it in Greek, what language did he speak? Hebrew. What did he mean when he said that? Faith comes by Shema. Shema? Hear. Obey. Faith comes by obeying? Wow, James would love that. Yaakov. <laughs> faith without works, that's right. Faith without works is dead. It's not really faith, is it? Oh man, listen, this is this is what this is what John said. Go back to Matthew chapter three. What did he say? Therefore, verse eight, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Repentance is not saying raising your hand and saying please don't misunderstand the raising of the hand. Raising your hand is if a teacher just adds, Who's a sinner in here? That is not repentance. Recognizing that you have a need is not the same thing as acting upon that. <laughs> it's the first step. It's a necessary step, obviously. But remember, repentance is not saying, I changed my mind. I don't want to live this way anymore. That is not repentance. What we've done, especially in the last two, three hundred years of the faith, is we've taught people that all you have to do is change your mind. Come on, just say it. Yes, I'm in desperate need of God. Come on, just tell Him. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. All those things are necessary, but that's not what repentance is. What is the word repentance? Teshuvah, I've written it on the board. Uh, Shuv is the root, the the verb. uh, Hebrew, generally, uh, uh, Hebrew all comes from a, all words in Hebrew come from a, uh, a three-letter uh, root verb. It's a verb language. It's an action-based language which right away tells you something. It's not a thought-based language. Hebrew's not big on thoughts. The, the English, the English Tanakh uses, or the, English, the Hebrew Tanakh uses about 10% of the words that the English Tanakh does, the vocabulary. English is far more vocabulary-rich. Hebrew's not. Why? Because it's very pragmatic. Just do it. <laughs> it's verb-based. Just do it. You know, it's not about thoughts. You know, it's not about having the right, nice thoughts about things. God says it, do it. You know, that's it. If you don't want to do it, fine, but don't say that I did. Because you had a nice, nice thought about it. He kind of recognizes that the actions come first and the feelings may come later. So that's right. That, well, the feelings do come. Hebrew is an extremely emotional language as well. Very emotion, rich in emotion. But it always acts upon, or it always acts first. Hebrew language, and this is what's beautiful about it, and understanding scripture from a Hebraic perspective, even the Greek portion, gives you this concept that it is concept here. See, we're stuck with it. We're stuck with thinking. It's about doing. And that's what we see in Teshuvah. The verb shuv means turn. That's it, turn. Turn around. It doesn't mean think differently about it. It doesn't mean have the correct understanding of it. 
It means if you're walking this way, turn around and walk the other way. If you're doing it this way, do it the other way. That's what shuv means. And that's what teshuvah, repentance, is all about. It's about doing it differently. Um, here is the kingdom message. I have often taught, and you've probably heard it taught as well, that the kingdom message, the gospel message, is encapsulated in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through, I think, 3 or 4, which is this, that, you, that Messiah came, that he, was, that, he was, uh, that he died, that he was buried, that he raised again, and that he was seen by others. That is a kingdom message. That is true, and that's exactly what he's teaching. But what you've you got to understand is the kingdom message is first introduced to us, in the apostolic scriptures anyway, right here in Matthew. And it is this. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's all you got to know for now. Isn't that interesting? Why did not John, the immerser, wanting to bring this message of Messiah, preparing the way, announce to the world, the Savior is coming? Why not? You need a Savior. You need to have your sins forgiven. Why didn't he do that? It's curious to me. In fact, when I read the rest of the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I still have that same question. Paul and Peter rightfully drew the, the, the truth from Isaiah and others that Yeshua came, Messiah came as a Savior. But that's not the way he's supposed to be introduced. He's supposed to be introduced as Messiah, that king. Do you know why Jewish people reject him as Messiah? For many different reasons, but one primarily? He didn't come as a king. He didn't come as a king. Do you know what we need to do? If we want to to portray him accurately, start like Matthew did. He's the king. And when I pray the prayers, whether it be from Art Scroll or anywhere else, speaking of the king of the universe, I recognize the king's son has come. And he has come, and he has redeemed, and he will come again, and he will reign. It's not a, it's not a prophetic thing. It's just the way that it is. He's the king. This message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is a circumlocution. The kingdom of God is a circumlocution, or the kingdom of heaven, rather, is, the, is, is a circumlocution. You're going to see it a lot in the scriptures. People ask me all the time, why do you put a dash in God? Why do you put a dash in Lord? Why do you say, when you, when you write it, why do you write Hashem instead of Lord? Why don't you just say what his name is? As if I could pronounce it. But You notice in this congregation, we do not speak his name. His holy name written, translated in most English versions as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's a circumlocution. It is a evasive synonym. You see, even in English we do this. Lord is not God's name. It's a substitute for what his name is. Because, and there's a lot of history behind how that substitute ended up as being the substitute. The Hashem means the name. So we speak of him, the name. Why don't we say it? Guess what? The first disciples didn't say it. I don't want to offend anybody, but everybody who somehow, there's many in the Messianic community, there's some in the Messianic community who think that you have to know how to pronounce God's name and that you should pronounce his name because otherwise that's the only way there is to know who he is. Uh, unfortunately, they're not reading the Gospels because the Gospels, Yeshua uses circumlocution, evasive synonyms, synonyms. He doesn't say his name. Isn't that come back to Moses when he saw the burning bush? Yeah. 
But yeah, that's right. What, you know, I mean, there's many different reasons why. One of the reasons we don't use his name is because we, we don't know how to pronounce it. We don't want to profane it. Was his name mentioned in temple times? Probably the first temple it was. Absolutely. Whenever the prayers were prayed, they prayed his name as it was to be pronounced. The problem is we don't have this history because Hebrew has no vowels. So we know the letters. A yod and a hey and a vav and a hey. There's no wuh in there, so forget that one. That's not there. <laughs> uh, how a hey in the middle of a, ver- a word is other than silent or is, is, is silent is, is odd too. Uh, there are different ways that people pronounce it that are probably completely wrong. Isaiah 40 again. Or excuse me. Go back to Metan Metan O A O. Repent. The Greek says, with the mind. Change your mind. Repent, in Matthew chapter 3, is change your mind. In the Greek. That is not what Matthew intended. He uses the word, the language of men, and expects you to, expects you to follow the thread. And the thread goes back into Isaiah. Uh, and what we also know is that the word nakam in, in uh, Nachamu, which is comfort ye. Nacham is also a word for repentance. It's interesting. Comfort is a word for repentance. How's that possible? Anybody that has repented knows the comfort that is found in repentance. So when it says comfort ye, comfort ye my people. In Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1. It's saying repent and be comforted. Isn't that wonderful? When you finally give up and you say, King of the world, King of the universe, yours and only your will is mine. Isn't it wonderful? Aren't you feel, don't you feel immediate relief and comfort? Yes. Your fight is over. That's exactly what it is. It's speaking of sure repentance brings comfort. So when it says comfort ye, comfort ye my people, it is in fact saying, this is the, this is the result of repentance. So John's message preached from the wilderness had success. It was completely successful. Did not return void. Great, great myriads of people went out of the wilderness, repented. Uh, Lamentations talks about this. The whole book of Lamentations coming up on uh, um, High Holy Days, speaking about Lamentations, and uh, the uh, written by Jeremiah. It's book of weeping. You know, the book of weeping and, and this idea that, that uh, our, our preparation, our personal preparation for the high holy days and our own personal repentance, what a great message for us to be thinking about. This is a personal thing. It's not just a national thing. To repent is to shuv, to turn around. Renew our days as of old. Go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 6. John, it says here, uh, verse 5 first, Then Judah, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him, immersed by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. If there has ever been a misunderstanding of this word baptism, I have to say, it seems, just to me, as if all Christian denominations have somehow missed the boat. It doesn't matter if you sprinkle or you dip. It both seems to miss the boat. And the reason why is because they never recognized, it seems to me, 
that this was not a new thing. How did thousands in Jerusalem go out there and go, whoa, he's dipping people. What's up with that? <laughs> Where did that come from? Oh, sign me up. I'll get, I'll get dipped. Or sprinkled or whatever it is that he was doing. They don't ask the question, do they? That's, that's what's missed is, this is not a new thing. This is an old thing. This is not a Christian sacrament. This is a biblical thing. Where did it start? Uh, go back and read the Torah. <laughs> and you find that this is very common. How is it common? It's extremely common. You could not go through life. Normal, this is a Jewish phrase, English, life cycles without immersion. Period. You can't. How is it possible that you could go through life without immersion? Not a one-time immersion. All the time. Ladies, once a month. Minimum. Men, often. What's up with this immersion thing? That's right. What we see. That's right. And what we see in the in the scenes or the or the Qumran community, the the people of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we see they had mikvot, mik uh, baths, ritual baths set up. Why is that? If you go to Jerusalem today, all around the Temple Mount, all around the Temple Mount are found ruins of mikvot. What an awesome thing is to experience, by the way, if you ever go there. Don't just look. Get in one. There's no water, though. It's okay. You won't get wet. Get in one. Why were they there? Because God asked and commanded His people that when you come to see me, I want you to immerse. And some of you, even if you immerse, it wouldn't be good enough because you have to follow the protocol follow if you go through a lot of the different things this idea and this issue we're going to see a lot in the book of in the book of Matthew this idea of being tame or tahor usually in English it's clean and unclean that's a very bad translation because it does not recognize it's even ritually clean I have a problem with I think for messianics we need to include in our vocabulary the word tame which means as translated in English unclean and the word tahor I would simply say if I were to translate it in English myself I would probably use something along the lines of ready to meet God or not ready to meet God but even that gives you the idea that oh I'm not ready to meet God no you could not go if you were Tame, you could not go on the Temple Mount period why? because you might die (laughs) you would profane God's very thank you you would profane God's very place and he said, don't do that. Why do I care? What you need to recognize is that the immersion, and you see this again and again, when we, when you, if you study this, you see, uh, Naaman asks the question, I, okay, I had leprosy. He says, go and dip, go and dip seven times in Jordan. Well, can I go dip in, my, in the rivers that are clean? I mean, why does it have to be there? What's up with that? It wasn't the dipping, was it? It wasn't the water of the Jordan that made him well, was it? It's not the dipping to make clean. And it's not just a spiritual thing. Recognize, well, I'm immersed in my heart. That would not cut it either. Okay, uh, God, there is no water here, so uh, how about I just come home to your temple mount and we'll say that I immersed before. No, that doesn't cut it either. What is it all about? It's a simple act of obedience. That's it. By the way, the Christian denominations that have taught that, it's a simple act of obedience. And zip the mouth, don't say anymore. That's good. 
That's enough. I think you need to say more if you want to teach people what it really means. But that's enough. It's a simple act of obedience. Yeshua did it. I should do it too. That's good. It is more than that. What we recognize is this idea of clean and unclean, or rather, tameh and tahor, is all speaking about what this immersion is. And here's the key. If you follow this thread all the way through the Torah, tameh and tahor, you discover that it's simply a change of status. It's a recognition by the individual and anybody else that I've changed. I'm no longer tameh. By the way, you know that I had to to, uh, uh, bury my... My father, and I, uh, and I've gone through the required waiting period. Uh, uh, I, I sat sheva seven, and I have, uh, I have been, uh, I've applied the ashes of red heifer, and I've immersed. And so now you know, because you saw that I immersed, you know that I did all that stuff. So now when you see me on the Temple Mount, you know that I have not brought death with me. That's, that's, what, that's what immersion did. It told everybody, I did all the stuff. Okay? It, immersion was a public and as a private thing. Immersions, uh, usually mikvot in, in the world today, are all private things. They're very private. Uh, but it, it is a personal testimony that I have changed my status. That's what, this, that's what this immersion that John is speaking of. It's a change in status. From being what to being what? Not being ready? There you go. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the, it is the immersion of repentance. It's a good immersion, isn't it? What is it saying? I'm not going to rebel against God anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to meet Him. That's what it's saying. That's what immersion is. That's the immersion that we practice here. I'm ready to meet Him. I'm not going to rebel anymore. That's what it is. And that's all it is. Being immersed is to cross over. John chapter 1 talks about this place that John used to take people to immerse them. Bet Abara, the same root from that we get Ivri, Hebrew, from. Eber, one of our patriarchs. It means to cross over. To cross over. From the other side. See, it was on the other side of the Jordan. John used to make people cross the Jordan... And from the other side of the Jordan at this place called Bitabar, Abara, he would immerse them. And they had to cross back across. This is the same kind of immersion that the children of Israel had when they came across the Jordan to enter the Promised Land. It's the same kind of immersion when they had to get out of Egypt on dry land, as it were, through the sea, through death. And in fact, they've been immersed. It's a change of status. I'm not slave anymore. I'm free. It's a change of status. I'm not a wanderer anymore. When I cross the Jordan, now I am a people with a land. It's a change in status. These are the change of status that we have as well. As we, as we come into following, being disciples of the Master, we understand that our immersion is a change of status from being a rebellious, not follower of Messiah to being an obedient follower of Messiah, a true disciple. It's a change in status. It's a crossing over. It is no longer a wanderer but a disciple. This is really important. He is the king. It's really important to understand he is the king. That we've heard this gospel message, this good news message. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that we respond by saying, no longer will I rebel against God. Now I will follow him faithfully. 
I signify that I have signified that through my immersion I've responded not simply by by words of my mouth or a profession although those are good and wonderful that's not what truly truly indicates repentance but repentance is truly indicated by walking differently walking obediently and then recognize that John's message ultimately was this remember this all flesh is grass God's word stands forever you know if, if, if we do not have the eternal word of God we're like a vapor the only thing that makes a difference is the eternal word of God that's why when we talk about uh, connecting ourselves to the God of Israel being connected by his grace through Messiah's work we recognize that's what gives us true meaning and true life other than that it's, it just it goes in a 70 years 80 years it goes in a flash it's a vapor who will remember you who will remember what you did some might if you're famous ultimately who remembers does it really matter if someone remembers when you're dead it does matter if there's good news that you have attached yourself that you have been attached by grace to God that's good news so every day is, a, is that that purposeful walking out private and public something as insignificant that the world does not care about in their terms but as significant to God as he could say my servant put your name in the blank my disciple put your name you've been faithful in little things you've been faithful in just the little things even so enter into the reward the great reward he's coming his reward is with him let's close in prayer our father our king you are master of all creator of the universe and you have called us into a relationship with you a relationship brought by the work of Messiah that you have made us clean you have immersed us in the very person of Messiah cloaked with his righteousness and yet you have called us to live righteous lives Father we cannot do the impossible we are so thankful that you have called us to a life of righteousness even in little things being faithful to you in private as well as in public knowing that you have a reward that you bring with you we earnestly long for those days when we will sense the times of refreshment when we will know that your uh, work has been completed and that all will bow their knee to you and at the name of Messiah we will sing praises Father we thank you and praise you that your kingdom is at hand and this message of repentance is a message for us today and a message for all to hear we pray that you would bless us this week in Yeshua's name Amen I will not be here next week